Well, welcome. Uh, my name is G. I serve as an executive pastor here at the City Lab Church. And today we're continuing our series called Recalled. Uh, the reason why we call it Recalled is this our idea of, you know, sometimes you have different products, cars, uh, baby food, baby seeds, and even this week, I'm going to warn you, if you have this product in your hand, I'm going to tell you right now to dispose it immediately. And that is Fitbit Ionic Smartwatch. If you have not heard, immediately take it off. Matter of fact, right now, if you have it, okay? And maybe you can exit the building. <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. Because it can blow up in your head. So literally, I mean, the Consumer Report came out this week and pretty much saying that there are over a million these watches, time-ticking bombs, million in sold in U.S., and 693,000 internationally. So these are all being recalled. I think you can get a refund. You know, it'll never happen to Apple Watch, but here we are. Um, let me just make sure. Yes. Uh, joke aside, though, I always make Apple jokes here. I don't know why I do it. I think it's just funny. Um, Android to different things. I just, if you have the best one, why you go get a subpar thing? Joke, joke, don't take it seriously. We love you, all your Android folks. Um, so we're continuing our season. The reason behind all these things being recalled is to, first of all, protect, to protect the consumers from the danger, but at the same time, if there are some tweaks that need to be needed, for example, if you have a car that's been recalled, you bring it in, today fix it, and they usually fix it for free. And, and the idea behind recall, even in Christianity, what we believe is that there is a time or season that we have to step back and examine ourselves to see if we are aligned, number one, mission of God, and number two, calling of God, which we will discuss today. And so just giving you a little bit of background of the, 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 our message, uh, so I'm just going to give you the little review here. City Life Houston, our beloved church, exists to honor God by making Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible disciples in our city. And that's the mission that God has given us, this city. And there are many churches around this city, but for us specifically, what God has called us to do is honor Him and make disciples. And that is the mission that God has given us. As long as we exist, we will continually do so. What is a disciple of Jesus? We define disciple of Jesus as a follower of Jesus who is Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. And that someone who gives their whole life to be with Jesus, number one, which means Christ-centered. Number two, become like Jesus, spirit-empowered, and behave like Jesus, socially responsible. And so this idea of a disciple needs to be talked and discussed about and discipleship or whatever. And there are a lot of ways to define this word, but for us in this church and how we define discipleship is this. Discipleship is everything. It's not a just a mentorship, maybe one-to-one -one meeting with somebody that is more mature than you. That's one part of it. Maybe taking classes, that's not a discipleship, but there could be one component of it. Small group. Different things that you do is one part of overall 
behavior or being, discipleship, I believe, is a state of being. Okay? What I mean by that is we are always in line with Christ, in and out. We're always thinking and consumed with God's mission, becoming more like Him. And how do we do that? I will tell you how we do it. We do it in our church. We have a strategy that we share through the four E's. And those four E's are, part of our strategy is the mission, honor God by making Christ-centered disciples in our city by engaging the culture and community. That's number one. And second, establishing the biblical foundations, which I spoke on last week, and equipping the believers to minister, which is today, and next week we will be focusing on empowering disciples to make disciples. And this process is an ongoing process in our church. And this specific year, we usually treat each year to be one ease that we focus on. This year is a year of engage. We want for you to go and engage the culture. And so we have a lot of different things that we share first week. One of the common things you can do is just pray for your neighbor, inviting them to the church. Simple thing. It's so simple, even get Cayman can do it. But I'm just saying, everybody can do the engaging, the culture. You can reach the people that I will not be able to reach. You have a spirit of influence in your life that you can actively engage the culture in a hope of bringing them into Christ. What an opportunity we have. And this is a mission for entire church. It does not just limit it to the pastors and leaders and the minister and the staff of the church, but every believer are called to go to the world. Every single one of us, which today we will discuss further what that means. We define equip today, equipping believers to minister. We define this as, as part of our lifestyle. We aim to deliberately equip every believer with understanding and heart to be able to minister. So open your Bible this morning to book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 1 through 16. I'll give you a second. If you don't have a Bible with you, the scripture is going to be on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also one who ascended far above all the heavens 
that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of the deceitful plotting, but speaking truth in love, may grow up all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. So today we are going to focus on Ephesians, this chapter we just read. And last year we actually did a whole study on the book of Ephesians and I highly recommend you actually check out the Ephesians studies. The reason why I love the Ephesians is it is Paul's love letter. Love letter to the church of Ephesus. He is mindful of what is happening in Ephesus. Church is growing. People are getting saved. Now you need some order. But here is a pastoral heart for Paul to talk to the believers in Ephesus to first understanding what gospel is, but also second, how to behave like Christians. And so I would like to turn your attention to this words, orthodoxy, to orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is basically means right belief. Orthopraxy is right behavior. And if you study the Ephesians, there is a clear division between orthodoxy to orthopraxy. And the portion that we read this morning, chapter 4, is the beginning of orthopraxy. For first three chapters, Paul is imploring his heart to the Ephesus church that this is the gospel. This is the Jesus whom we serve. And this is why we serve him. And starting in this chapter, chapter 4, it's very clear that there is a sudden behavior that manifests when you have the right belief. You see, I do not believe that you can have a right behavior without first having a right belief. If you, I think you can try, but at a certain point, if you really don't know what you believe in, at a certain point, you will come to the junction point and you start to ask your question, why am I doing these things anyway? You have to answer the question, why? And I believe that Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 gives a clear picture of Jesus and the saving grace, that grace, only through the grace, through faith, that we've been saved, is not of works that no one can boast. 
And now, we have reached the point where now the behavior follows. And so let's go to the text today. I'm going to try to keep it short. I know this is a 16 long verses. We can literally stay in one verse for hours, but we can't because we're time limit. So I'm going to try to fly right through. Let's talk about this together. The duty, I will call it the duty of every believer is starting from number one, verse one. It says, therefore, I love, you probably wonder, like, just one word? You stop there? Yes, absolutely. Therefore, I believe that what Paul is saying here is that now that the orthodoxy is settled, now that we have laid the foundation work of what we believe in, let's talk about your behavior. It's a very clear division here, and I love how Paul put it. And he calls or exhort the Ephesian church, and he encourage, or the word is beseech them, walk worthy of their calling. And when you think about walk worthy, I don't think I need to define what that means, which means a sudden standard of a behavior. There's a sudden way a we must carry ourselves as a Christian. We cannot look the same as a world and call ourselves a Christian. We simply cannot. And here's why. World is watching. Unbelievers, the world, the entire world is always watching what the Christians will do. Isn't that funny, though? The church is the, one of the mo- most common criticized religion in the entire world. Even the United States. Think about it. Does Islam get criticized? Does Judaism get criticized? Does Buddhism, Hinduism... Are these religions being criticized openly? It's usually Christians. I don't know why that is. I think I know. Because we have the truth. We have the exclusivity of our faith. What we say is not all religions are the same. We say there's only one way to God. Oh, and the world doesn't like that at all. How can that be? How can Christianity be the only way? There has to be some other means. And then we go to the scripture, and that's why doctrine comes in. And Jesus said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. If that is not exclusive enough for you, I don't know what it is. And so, yes, Christianity is exclusive in a way that there is one way, only one way to God. And that's what we profess and believe. And if that's the case, that means as a believers, as those followers or the disciples should exemplify the character of Christ, which that's what this first portion will lead. Starting with verse 2. Paul begins with the moral qualities and not structures. What I mean by that is he starts with character. What does Christian look like? Lowliness, or we can say humility. And in the ancient time, the humility is not a quality that people admired. Matter of fact, it was despised regularly. And so when Jesus enters the scene... He makes 
humility the highest character of our believers. Isn't that funny? Isn't it a coincidence that God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the Son of God, who was seated at the right hand of the Father, taking a form of man, humbling himself, taking a form of man, coming to where we are, the earth. Going to the cross, bearing the shame and the sin of the world on his shoulder. Sin of you and me. Crucified. Died. Resurrected. Ascended. Seated at the right hand of the Father. Waiting for the return. That's gospel. And I see that we see that in the character of Christ, and this is the character that we have to embody as Christians. Second thing is a gentleness or weakness or gentle strength. Long-suffering, also known as patience, and I like this definition by F.F. Bruce. He says, this word embraces steadfastness and staying power. If in English we use an adjective long-tempered as a counterpart of short-tempered, then this word could be called a quality of being long-tempered, which is quality and one of the attributes of God. Now, aren't you glad that God is patient with you and me? Aren't you glad that he never gives up on us? Even with all of our faults and mistakes that we make, even as a believers. Even as a believers, he is patient with us. Now, as a father of a five-year-old, becoming five-year-old and coming three-year-old, I need patience. <laughs> I do. And you know, when your child do the things that you was not told to do, and they do it, your automatic reaction should be, is, uh, how dare you? How dare you do such thing? Don't you know who I am? I'm your father. You must obey me. But there's also a side that is patient because the grace of a love for your child will extend beyond just judgment. That's the Father God we serve. Long-suffering, patient with us, patient with the world that we live. And love, can't say enough about love, but here's the thing. All these things that are listed is a divine attributes. Just yeah. define who God is. You want to know God? Here it is. This is you want to know about God, how he, be, how he is, his character that he wants in us? Right here. And we can have because of Holy Spirit. And verse 3, I'll try to move a little bit faster from here on out. Endeavoring or to make or give diligence, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
for new community of faith, God's society in Christ will require Holy Spirit or divine help. Without Holy Spirit, there is no unity. And because of the coming of the Holy Spirit now, we can have unity. Just look around you. Don't tell me there's no unity. When there's a diversity, like our church, that somehow they will be able to get along and empathize with one another and their struggles and be able to say, what can I do to help? Not just, oh, I feel pity. Feel pity for them. Or, or, or oh, I, feel, I sympathize. Oh, maybe I empathize. Oh. No, we compassion. We're driving by compassion. Empathy is not enough. See, empathy does not lead to action. Compassion does. You see, when you see Christ, that moves him. What moved Jesus? When he see the multitude, sheep without shepherd, moved with compassion. And what does he do? He acts. He do something about it. Not just like, mm, I feel your pain. He does something to it. Isn't that what we're supposed to do too as a Christians? I believe so. Verse 4, perfect unity of the Trinity is at work in the body of Christ, which is the church. You know, it goes on this one rant, that's what I call it. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. It's this perfect picture of Trinity that is working not only us as individually, but as corporately as a church. You see, Jesus had to leave so the Holy Spirit may come. And that because of the evidence and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the church has thrived for 2,000 years. Oh, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be here for a long, long time, even after we're done with our lives. Until Jesus comes back, of course. But that's a different story. One spirit that integrates us into one body, Lord Jesus is the one object of faith, hope, and baptism of all Christians. One family because there is one God, the Father. God completes the divine order for the church. It's God's doing, which you will find. Third thing is a spiritual gift. Let's go to verse 11. I'm skipping through a little bit here. Verse 11. It begins with the word, he himself. Let's stop there. Everything that we possess as a church, whether it be church governance and ordinance and the way we do things, from the eldership to the deacons and, and, and then serving and everything that we do entails, the ministry of reconciliation, everything is he himself. He himself, the Christ, because he has completed the mission, accomplished the mission, now he's the one who set the order for our church. Here at the City Lab Church, we do not do anything without the first consolation with the Word of God. And I'll be the first one to you because we have a lot of people that's joining us for the first time or recently coming. City Life Houston, we are 
serious about God's word. We're very serious about it. Because we're living in a world where the authority of a scripture are being tested, degraded, and seen as just another literature in the church. I believe that God's word is all inspired, all authoritative, inerrant word of God. That every word that is written in the Bible is God-breathed, spirit-led, inspired by God. And we believe in every word. Why does that matter? Because it is starting point of everything. If we don't get this right, there is no orthopraxy. Sorry. It's not how it works. If we devalue this, our behavior will look much different than what Paul, Jesus, saints of old have given us in the past. If we want to protect that, let's view this word differently. When we have a proper admonition and, and respect for God's word, when honor God's word, then we can move on to action. Without it, hmm. God is the one who sets the order. He does, not us. It doesn't matter how equipped and talented. Pastor Chris and I and KC and all of our team, we're not that talented. We're pretty good, but we're not that talented. <laughs> Even with our best state, we cannot come up with the ordinances. We cannot. We can't come up with the church orders. We, we cannot. We can try to manufacture organizational things like a lot of businesses do. We can try that, and there are those who actually do that, but for us in this church, City Life Houston, we get our ordinances from the Word. And we have elders, we have deacons, we have a leadership that actually pray, led by the Spirit of God, to make sure that what we practice in this house is aligned with the Word. And as long as we do that, and make sure we keep it that way, we can build generationally. Because if this go, I guarantee it, everything else goes. So we'll fight for it. So we take the word of God very serious here at the City Lab Church. Verse 12, now that God is setting an order for the church, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work a ministry for the edifying the body of Christ. What is the reason? What is the purpose of the gifts? Is that for you? Is that just for yourself? For your enjoyment? Or is that for the body? I believe that all saints are minister. Each one of you are called by God for his mission and his purpose to go 
and make disciples. Every single one of us. You see, that responsibility has not just given to myself, Pastor Chris, or the staff, or elders and deacons. This responsibility of the gift that we treasure is for the edifying. It's not only for yourself. Your gift alone may be good, but when it is joined in unity with other believers with a different facet and, and colors and different gifts, fulfilling, dynamic, synergy, whatever you want to call it, when church start to respond, utilizing every single individual's gift for the glory of God, I think that we can go forward. But we need you. Scripture is very clear. It's not just for mature Christians, per se. It is for every single one of us to understand the responsibility that you ha- it has been given to us. You and I are carriers of God's divine treasure, divine gift that the world is waiting to see. But it is in the confinement of the church body that God ordained to utilize all of our gifts and talents for the glory of God. You alone may be able to accomplish many things, no doubt. I'm sure you're talented and great, amazing, you're killing it, you're running show, I'm sure that's who you are, great for you, but you're still one person. And I believe in church, when we all respond, when we all decide to say, you know what, I got a part to play. I have a part to play. It might as a small or it might be big, it does not matter. Preacher, the children's workers are just as important as a preacher standing here and preaching the word. Person who greets are just as important as the campus missionaries. Every single one of us matter in the body of Christ. And that's how God designed the church. God, the giver of these gifts, also determined the direction and order of his church. Your gift is not only for your own, but are given to edify the church, this body, this body. Verse 13, this word until or till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This till or this progressive thought, this ongoing, maturing, becoming like Christ is a lifelong commitment. Christianity was never meant to, I get saved, now I'm going to heaven, that's it. I'm done, I'm going to heaven, so I'm great. Christianity says, I'm saved by grace, now I need to go. Because there is somebody else that needs saving. And God has chosen us to bring the saving knowledge of Christ, the gospel, When will we respond and take this call seriously? 
Eugene Peterson says about church this way. There are a variety of offices in the community of faith. Prophet, priest, wise person, elder, apostle, deacon, deacon, bishop, and so on. But throughout the church, the primary emphasis is on the people. All the offices and jobs are servant positions for assisting and encouraging men and women to be the people of God and not merely a crowd of religious consumers. Here are some takeaways. Doctrine matters. What you believe matters. Right belief matters because it dictates your behavior. Without the right belief, then you will not, cannot, will not possess the behavior, the orthopraxy. You need both. But we must first lay the foundational work. And we always need to refine, define, sharpen our belief so that we may able to respond when the question rises about life, about Jesus, we'll be able to answer. Are you prepared for it? Second, you are called. All saints are called to minister. question is, did you know that you were called today? You have gifts that I do not have. And what are you going to do with that gift? Are you going to just sit on that gift? Are you going to hoard that gift? Or will you bring your gift for the glory of God. Finally, third thing is, are you being equipped? You know, this word equipped is interesting. The word equipped, in Greek is katartismos. It's not really equipped. The word katartismos means perfecting. Are you being perfected in Christ? You see, we are all on a journey. Whether you are just beginning your journey, where you are in the journey for a long time, we are all in this together. And we are all pursuing that perfection. We're all moving forward. Some fast, some slow. But it's okay. At least we're moving forward. My prayer for each and every one of you in this room is that you take this process seriously. That if you haven't ever thought about this process, it's a glorious process. The more you become like Christ, the more you understand who this amazing God you serve, you cannot help but to go and share the hope that is in you. Finally, the church is the vessel. Church is the place where you are equipped, mature, and carry out the mission of Christ. There's no such thing as lone wolf Christian. I'll be very frank with you. Lone wolf in the real world, they die early. In the wilderness, I'm talking about the lone wolf. We somehow glamorize the lone wolf as if this strong figure. No, they usually have a disease and dying. Why? they're not in the pack 
the pack will help you. You see, it's a really funny picture how when you are weak, the pack is helping you to move forward. But when you're all alone, you're slowly perishing away because there are no one to help you. There are no one to sharpen you, correct you, so that you can continually grow. Church is the vessel God has chosen to carry out His mission. Not Pastor G, not Pastor Chris. God has chosen the church to do it. Church is a representation and expression of His grace and truth to the dark world. You know, I think many times we view the church like cruise ship. You have to buy cruise. Everybody go cruise. And these are some of the things that we look for when we're on the cruise ships, right? Do I like the show they play in the ballroom? Do I like the captain and his crew? Is the service good? Are my knees met? Is my cruise pleasant and comfortable? And here's the question. Do I want to sail with them again? I believe the picture of church is not cruise ship, but the battleship. Here's the question. Is the ship on a clear and a noble mission? Does captain submit to a higher authority? Are crew members equipped to fulfill the mission at hand? Are each member able to contribute in a significant way? And are they honored and recognized for their noble mission? We want to be a church like a battleship. Clear mission. Honor God. Make disciples. We have a message to the dying in a dark world. Their hope will rise through and in Christ and Christ alone. Will you commit today to the life of perfection? Pursuit of a perfection, lifelong commitment to perfecting in Christ, equipping for the glory of God and for His church. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that you have given us a mandate, you have given us a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. Help us not take that lightly. Let that be a rallying cry for the glory of God and all our work, where there will be a mission to serving in everything that we do in this church, be done to glorify you, that people may know that City Life Houston exists to honor and glorify God. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.